Hello and welcome to episode two of season two of Leading in Conversation. It's great to have Nailis back with me today. Hi Nailis, why don't you introduce our special guest for today? Yeah, hi Kate. It's good to be back. And uh, yes, we do this together with Peter van Dingenen, a Belgian surgeon who is a friend I met in Camden, where I live, who has worked for 20 years in Burkina Faso doing medical work, who is deeply invested in working with people rather than for people. Maybe we'll come back to that later. And that touches, of course, on conversational leadership. So when we started talking about this concept, he got really interested. It's like, okay, this is partially reflecting what I already do and partially inspiring. Peter, tell us a little bit more about what you did in Burkina Faso and maybe how that touches on conversational leadership. Right. Thank you, Nilis and Kate, <laughs> for being here. And a little introduction maybe about, about myself. We, my wife and I, we've been working since 92 in Burkina Faso, mainly in medical missions. We've worked there five years, me as a nurse and she as a chemist. And then after five years, that was 97, we went back to Belgium, where I was able to finish my medical studies. That took us nine years. In 2006, by that time, we had four daughters. We went back. But my wife and I, we've, we, we had this experience already in the 90s where the project we worked for was pretty much top-down oriented. And we just had to execute the projects that were given to us. Still, we tried to have a, a very participatory approach to all of this. And then to end the story, so in 2016, because of the studies of our children mainly, we came to Condon, where three of our daughters attended Black Forest Academy. You started talking about one of those initial yes. experiences of top-down leadership. Can you say a bit more about that and how that frustrated you and inspired you to do things differently? Actually, I wanted to start by saying, of course, in 92 with Ineke, we prepared to get there and we read books and we had to, to do training. But I was very happy that during the first weeks of us being there, I read one sentence that really stuck in my head for the rest of my life, where it said in developmental work, we all too often throw answers like stones to the heads of the people who never asked the question in the first place. I love that quote. Yeah. Kate, what do you think? That's, this is actually that's, quite... Wow, that's very profound. Yes, we're answering questions that people hadn't even asked. Throwing stones mm. to people as an image of the way we often approach problems is really rich. Because it, I think that's part of what we discuss in our podcast, isn't it? It implies a distance. It implies one-sidedness, no participation, no conversation. Yeah, it implies also hurting people. Yes. Which, uh, sadly, top-down leadership can often do. And mm -hmm. any kind of leadership can, yeah. So you said that inspired you. You saw that happening. Say a bit more. Yes, I saw that happening. Well, one of the results of that approach is that today that um, project where we worked is gone. It's just 
one more big white elephant, like we call them in Belgium, uh, these projects that look really nice, okay. really in the beginning and really nice pictures. And of course, while we were there, we were able to save thousands of children from hunger death. We were able to give information to, to mothers how to prevent their children being underfed and how to grow a vegetable garden and so on. But still, it's very sad that once the... The promoters of the project moved out of the project. The project just dies. Because it never responded to the real questions people were asking. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, they do ask the question. They, they are in pain and they see a problem, but they have never been involved in defining how to get the problem solved. Yeah, so it's for them rather than with them. Right. And so one of the examples was... My first project, just a little sketch of the place we were. We were in a rural village. There was a center for malnourished children and a small dispensary. And around that village, there were five other villages. And we were kind of responsible for preventative work in those villages. These villages had been through a program of, uh, sponsored by the European community to put latrines and it was like for a countrywide program where they said like uh, one village one latrine well it was a big latrine i have to say <laughs> with many entrances the way they approached is they funded a big hole in a place in the village that the villagers figured out and put a big concrete slab on it and some walls and yeah that was it and so villagers were very happy with that. Thank you very much for the gift. And when we arrived there, it was like six months after they had implanted these batteries in, in the village. So I visited them and saw that most of them were either already broken because of heavy rains. Some the concrete slab was so heavy that it kind of sunk Into halfway. The there. So no one dared to, to go on there scared to fall in i would not go there <laughs> and then i saw one in particular that struck me they, they had built it right next to the marketplace you can imagine the smells <clears throat> so yeah that was the result i think from a very non-participatory way of approach of a very good idea and so Working as a medical professional, of course, I knew that there was an enormous lack of hygiene in the villages, uh, shown by the high numbers of children dying from diarrhea and dysentery, and people being very sick all the time, having uh, intestinal problems. Of course, in my agenda, the first thing I wanted to do is find a way to have better hygiene in the villages, and not just by washing more your hands. And in that thought process, of course, I was new to the area. I didn't know the language. So how on earth am I going as a total stranger trying to convince people to build latrines as an answer to the problem of all their children being sick? And that, on top of it, without money. There wasn't a budget for my program. That sounds a little bit like often the leadership challenges many of us have. There is no money and people aren't excited about it. Right. But then I saw it more like a challenge. I was very frustrated, of course, by seeing so many projects all across Africa looking nice on pictures and reports, but seeing that a lot of these projects end in, I like to call them big white elephants. And no one wants that, honestly speaking. No one wants to hear that at the end that it works out like that. So how will I do this? I think language is a very, very, very important and powerful tool to work with, but also a very dangerous one.
I was blessed enough to have a local pastor who spoke both French and the local language. And as I got to know him, when I listened to him preaching or translating into French, I understood that he was more uh, translating the idea, not so much the words. I was like, oh, that's an interesting person. So I got to sit down with him and I exposed him to the problem at hand um, that I was responsible to help the people in the villages. And I asked him if he would be okay to translate for me. And he also knew all these people in the villages, so that was a plus. So I decided not to go with a four-wheel drive truck to the villages because when you come to a village like that, they all stare at the vehicle and they say, oh, that guy has a lot of money. Let's see how we, you know, yeah. how we get kids up from that, which is normal. I have to honestly say the only thing that I bought for that project was a bicycle so that I could get around to the village. And everything else was provided by you. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't put any money into that project. So what did it take for people to do that? Because that is the conversational leadership challenge. Yes. So, so I went to the villages and I even said, uh, I decided that I would behave like a total stranger. Of course, I read books and I knew what a latrine was and how to build it and blah, blah, blah. And I know that there was a need of clean water and, and education for the kids and vaccination and whatnot to get them to a better health situation. But you acted as if you didn't. And, uh, as if we didn't. So first, you, when you go somewhere, and that's anywhere in the world, that's not just Africa, anywhere, also in Europe, you go and you cannot make statements or say, this is what you need to do or not to do. You just say, hi, I'm a total stranger. I'm very happy that I can be in your place. Mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting insight that you shared there, Peter, because one of the things about conversational leadership is that the leader needs to take on a new role. And we yes. talked about this in some of our earlier episodes last season that, you know, the whole concept of hero leadership, the leader knows everything, the leader has the vision for the project. Conversational leadership completely flips that around and has the yes. leader coming as a learner, as a facilitator as a participant and what you're saying really demonstrates that yeah and i love how it brings that theory into a really concrete practical thing you know some of the answers but you cannot throw them at people like stones because as soon as you do that it hurts people and they're not listening yeah it's counterproductive and they're not engaged anymore and they told me about their village and and i said is there any problems you have here in, the, in this village? And pretty soon they were telling me that, yeah, the children are very sick and there's no school and they don't have enough water during dry season and there's some housing problems. So, of course, they talked about um, a few things. And then in a second visit, we would approach these, these things again, these four or five main items that always show up in villages like that, and just asking questions about it. Together with my pastor friend, we decided, of course, that you could try to help them to get clean water. But the first thing that would be done is to protect these waters first. So we both agreed that helping people to have better hygiene would be a better approach. So when we went on these sessions, we just started by asking questions. So you told us about your children being sick all the time. That's actually very interesting because where I come from, Children don't die from or don't have these diseases. So help me to understand what's going on. So I took an approach where I don't know anything and you tell me. This is neat because as Kate said earlier, that 
the role of you as leader was one of guiding to where they wanted to go, asking, helping them find solutions. Yes. So, so it's a very facilitative role rather than the guy with all the answers. Yes. And so they told me, oh, yes, well, our children have diarrhea all the time. And I said, yeah, well, why? And they said, well, it's because of the food they eat. And I said, oh, what's wrong with the food? And they would go, yeah, it's the women. They don't cover the food when it's finished, something like that. And then I said, I don't understand why. And they said, well, there's flies and the flies sit on the food. And then, and our children, they play everywhere. So they started blaming others, of course. Most of them were men, but there was some women mostly too. And then it became awkward and they go like, well, at, at our place, it's not like your place. So yeah, I, I kind of figured that, but tell me more. I, I really don't understand. And they say, hey, um, well, when you entered the village, the bushes you saw there left, that's where we go if we need to go, something like that. I said, oh, okay. Yeah, well, and then the flies sit there and get on the food. So very interestingly, they already knew a few of the basic basic, yeah, hygienic reasons why things happen. It was not all spirits, apparently. And so it went on and on, just not to go into no. too much detail, because such a conversation can easily take up two hours if everyone is relaxed and everyone wants to pinch in something that he knows. And that's interesting, too, because all of yeah. a sudden someone knows something that the other one didn't mention. And they're kind of proud to tell that to everyone. I, I love, again, what you're saying here, because what you're saying is you can't take a shortcut to the solution. No. So the conversation leadership approach is one where you've got to kind of go with the flow and allow time to guide you in a way, Kate. Yeah, and letting things emerge. At the beginning of the conversation, people might not think that they know the answers, the solutions to their own problems. But the act of talking, then, you know, somebody says something, and that triggers something for someone else, and then they build on each other. And, And by the end, you got quite a comprehensive set of causes that have emerged because everyone had a little part of the solution, perhaps. But it also shows that your role as leader in that conversation was not just one of passively listening, because the normal around the fire conversation would not have resulted in this. It was very much a guided conversation. Right. Right. So you were asking leading questions and bringing in new information, such as, well, where I come from, our infants, our children don't all die of these diseases. So that was a new piece of information you were bringing into the conversation and stimulating a discussion about, well, why does it happen here? Yeah. And then we got to the point where, yeah, I even brought in at some point where I said, oh, are you, is the food not good? Is, is did, give, did God give you? Because everyone over there believes in God. So everything is related to God, what they do. And so I said, you know, did God give you bad harvest or something or is the food you eat is is that a cause maybe and they said no 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 it's not that so they they kind of really started to take on kind of feel that there was some responsibility from their own part where they could actually to get them where they could actually decide oh maybe we could do something about it and then they were motivated yes Yes. At some point, I really asked the question, said, so is there anything you could do about this situation? In most villages, I have to say, there was already a few people who kind of had dug their own latrines and were using them. Then you all of a sudden have two, three people who are very proud to explain to the others what, uh, what they did and how that worked out for them. What was 
even more inspiring and interesting for me is that all of a sudden you have these people discussing what types of wood you have to use to cover the pit. And then even someone said, yeah, and you have to take leaves of the neri tree to put on that wood so that the termites don't eat the wood. I could never have found that in any book. Uh, not even on Google. Uh, well, Google didn't exist back then. <laughs> it's just so amazing that all of a sudden you see a, a much better solution. And it's interesting because what you're saying is that concrete slab could not work no. because it was too heavy. It would sink into the ground. Yes, as soon as the rains began, then it starts to But sink. the people knew how a proper latrine would work. Yes. They, yeah. they already had the knowledge, the information needed there i love that and the external solution was doomed to failure that the concrete was just too heavy in that context with that kind of ground yeah that's yeah. fascinating and that's fascinating isn't it because that applies to leadership situations in any complex yes yes we have to be open people have to be open when they want to get somewhere or have help people to get somewhere you have to be open to what they know yeah. Not so much to what we know. <laughs> so you started building those to, to make a long no, story short? I didn't, you know, they, I they, didn't, they, I, I didn't build anything. <laughs> yeah. So the other thing was someone said, oh, it smells very bad to have such a thing. I said, well, what I could do to have to kind of join in with the, with the, the, the project, I could go to the capital every six weeks and I have a pickup truck. So if someone wants a pipe, they figured out that you need to put a pipe in there and then it's two, two meters high and then the, the bad airs just flow up and no one smells it. I said each one should pay. It was an equivalent of $2 just for that pipe that I could buy it for them. I asked, you know, make a list of those who paid. The transportation will be for free because I'm going to the capital anyway, something like that. Well, they never showed up with a list, nor not a money. So I figured that wasn't that important to them. It was just a part of the conversation and the thoughts they had. Well, that's interesting. So yeah. you didn't insist on your pipe. No. You basically said, they don't think that pipe is important, and we'll do it without a pipe. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. But they didn't build the next supermarket. No, and that was so. I I really asked the question. I said, "How um? So how do you want to build that? Because we just had a project here. That I saw that big thing, and they said, "No, no, 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 no. That's not the way to do it. Actually, every single family should have a latrine next to their house." I said, hmm, "That's an interesting idea. From what you're saying, I think that might be a very good solution." At the end of the conversation, as soon as I saw that people said, hey, we need to do that. We just need to do that. I stepped out of my role, actually. And I said, hey, listen, if you build these latrines, that's fine. If you don't build these latrines, that's fine with me. Nothing's going to change in, in me being a you know, good friend to the village. But of course, you have to understand, since you said that the water you're drinking might be infected, the next time that you offer me water to drink, it will be difficult for me. I will drink it, but I, you know, I have to take into account that I that might make me sick. Because in Africa, as most of our listeners know, it's very rude to refuse water that is offered when you come to a village. That's a cultural thing. I thank God for that idea that he put in my mind at that moment, because I think that shows that cultural knowledge uh, where you work is important. Yeah. And so you have to know the people and what is important to them. 
when I visited them, the first village was very interesting. That was the week of Ramadan. That meant that, and it was in April, it was the hottest month of the year. And so for the next four days, they wouldn't do anything. And I had promised them to visit them as part of my participation, just to visit them to see how the work was going and what they were planning to do. And so I would do that on a Friday because that's their kind of day off. I went there on the next Friday. They didn't work until the Tuesday. On Wednesday was Ramadan and they started digging on Thursday. And to my amazement, 17 families had started digging. The most difficult thing for me was to walk for over two hours to visit each family just to see what they were doing. But I tried to put it into a more like a game where I, you know, visited and they were explaining what they were doing and saw someone who, who already was like over two meters deep. Uh, and then I went to the next one and these young guys had just started and they were all sweating terribly. And they would say, yeah, here, that's our pit. And I said, oh, that's interesting. I just went to your neighbors there and uh, they already have like two meters. And they were, no, no, but we are just starting. We are just starting. <laughs> so they put some competition, competition. in there. Uh, just approach it not too seriously. Just have some fun doing that. And they enjoy that. And they appreciated my weekly visits just to see how the work proceeded. But it's interesting because that, again, in conversational leadership, there is a significant leadership role, isn't it? You mm -hmm. didn't pay for anything. Mm -hmm. You were not officially in charge of anything. No. These villages were in charge of their own thing. Yeah. But you had a hugely significant role in encouragement, in helping them arrive at their solution, all of that. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's massive. Yeah. I also love that you didn't have to tell people to do anything. You facilitated the conversation. They figured out the solutions and then they implemented it. And often as leaders, where we fall short is on the implementation. But if people come up with the solutions themselves to their own problems, they're relevant, they're motivated to do it, and they'll make it happen. And 17 families had already started digging holes. All you had to do was go around and encourage and visit. Whereas I think of some of our efforts to implement things, perhaps as leaders, where we haven't involved people in developing the solutions, it's much harder to get people to to persuade people to get on board with implementing things. Also, that uh, element of staying with people in the phase of engagement. Mm -hmm. um, yes, very important. Yeah. You don't step out after facilitating a conversation. So in the end, with the five villages, we were able to have 46 new latrines built by themselves. I was thinking, how can I show my participation more tangible? As we all know, family is very, very important in Africa. And I decided that I would do a family picture, I'd put another a little bit of an element of competition there. At the end, they will all stand in front of the latrine and I'll make a nice family picture. So you don't see the latrine. <laughs> Hey, but you started off saying that you joined the organization you were working with and you started doing all this work with the villagers. Mm -hmm. And I've heard you talk to me before about agricultural projects. You, you started with them as well. But then somehow it all came to a stop. Yeah. It fell apart. You yeah. referred to this earlier. Yeah. What? Because you said that was a, an example of top-down leadership. So yeah. what happened to contrast this beautiful picture of collaboration, conversational leadership yeah. with the alternative? What happened? I can say one sentence. I decided to go back to Europe to study medicine. I was a nurse back then. I had a big need of medical care. 
And after five years, the biggest donor of the project sent a nurse to replace me. And during the three weeks transitions, she literally said that even all the projects, income generating projects that I started, like a vegetable garden, a chicken farm, uh, other things, she said, well, I don't know anything about these kind of things. So we'll stop that. And anyway, the donor will pay again, hundred percent for the project. Me having worked very hard to get it to 50% self-sufficiency. Yeah. After a few years, the donor retracted their funds and the project died slow death. So that is the result of non-participation, no conversation, right. imposed solutions, right. because they're always kind of short-term fixes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think people mean very well, but money is rarely the, the solution to the problem. It's mostly contraproductive. That's quite a meaningful comment, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. After finishing these medical studies, in again, I we decided uh, to go back to Burkina Faso, now closer to the capital, because we had to send our kids to school. But for us, it was very important. Whatever we would be doing, it had to be participatory. We went back to help a, a doctor there to start a medical facility, but it became impossible for me to work at that place. I left that project and I was pretty much without a job. We happened to live in a street where like five houses down the street, there was a, another medical center. One of the co-workers there came to see me and say, hey, why don't you want to do some consultations at that place? And they said, uh, we want to pay you for your job. And that's what they did. And thus started the money that we needed to whatever was coming next. Gradually, there was just someone who said, oh, you would like to do medical work, maybe a hospital, maybe you need a piece of land. So we found a piece of land and, and bought that in the process. We also started to do mobile clinics in the villages, in the primary schools. And here again, to be able to visit 250 children in two days and do that properly, you need a lot of participation of local people. I needed extra hands. And uh, since our children were going to the international school, we had them join us. And uh, we had the students join us for these medical visits. And again, in a very participatory way, these students were involved in weighing the children and helping them through the visits and doing their eye tests and, and urine tests. And, and so we gathered a lot of information in a very short time. About it. I love what you're saying here, yeah. because that's what I've observed in your stories and your work. You tend to always see the possibility to bring in people from everywhere. That sense of creating more of a movement rather than a structure, yes. is, is one that I think characterizes a lot of what you do. And from a conversational leadership approach, that is actually quite interesting. You didn't have authority, hierarchical authority, no. over anyone in the process. Which, which, no, no, I never actually had a very, yeah, like an official, <laughs> like director of this or that. <laughs> <laughs> so you create through conversation, through involvement, through inspiration, mm -hmm. kind of a movement of people who are all sharing ideas. 
Yeah, I have to say that for the, to bring in the school, it was actually a teacher at that school that said, you are doing these medical visits. So the, the kids have to do some community involvement yeah. thing. So could they join you in these visits? Mm-hmm. And so yeah, that, that's what happened. And for years in a row, I think we visited over 25,000 children in total. And for years in a row, these students between 13 and 18 years old accompanied us on these trips, including even the children of the president and the ministers of the country. It was amazing to see how they even got involved. We didn't get any money from their parents (laughs) to do that. And again, I didn't need that money because the kids were there and I'm sure it will influence them for the rest of their lives what they you know, what they saw there. I know for a fact there's several students that became doctors and nurses because of it. Yeah, Because they had this experience. That's fantastic. Yeah. So now you work in Germany. Yeah. As a surgeon. Mm-hmm. And I've heard you refer to our podcast on conversational leadership saying, I wish that more people in the German healthcare system would <laughs> listen to this. Yeah. So, so what are you seeing? How does the principle we talked about that you applied in real life in Burkina Faso, how does that apply in a large organization like a German hospital? Well, I see often how it goes wrong because it's done wrong. You have new young people who want to become nurses and they come on the ward and there's a big whiteboard with their names on it. It's like a, a big plan. So they have one side and you have the, on the X axis, you have their names. On the Y axis, you have the 20 actions that a nurse can do to patients, you know, giving pills, injections, washing, whatever. And they come in and it's their name and then all red magnetic dots, like a red light. Don't do that. You're not qualified yet. And so I see like three, four young people standing there and really be, you know, they're blocked. If they ask a question already, people are like, wait, well, I'm busy, so wait a minute. There's not a very great atmosphere to start learning. I would say I would probably, if you want to use that graph, I would put all green dots and say, you have to go with a nurse. Today, you're looking and watching what they're doing, and tomorrow you'll start doing it yourself. By the end of the week, I would like you to be able to do different things that are on there. But adults or, or young people, I would not start using blue and red dots. I mean, that's maybe. So it's a sense of telling people what they can't do rather than exploring what they can. Yes, yes, you have to to be positive. I think from the start and open, and even ask them, "Hey, have any experience in this?" And just start from there. Yeah, I remember that. This is a very strong one. The story. I, I even told it to a colleague yesterday. As we were going with these high school students doing these visits, they had to do the eye test, where a child has to cover an eye and then and then say the E is like this and like that, and just test the eyes like that. And so they also had to do that with very young children, uh, five, six year olds, who just started to go to school in a rural context in Burkina Faso. The students didn't speak the language, so there was a huge language barrier. So they had to try to explain to these kids how to do this test properly. That's a very difficult thing. 
And I remember one student just trying and trying. And after half an hour, she came to me and said, Dr. Peter, it's not going to work. This child doesn't get it. I said, that's fine. It's a very young child. She's running around. I didn't see her run into anything. I think she sees well. <laughs> it's just very important to, to check it. If it doesn't work, it's okay. Yeah. But the student was more courageous than I. So behind my back, after talking to me, she just continued to try with this child. And another, I don't know, 50 minutes or 20 minutes later, I hear her shout, she did it, she did it, she did it. So the student had really succeeded in having that child understand how to do this test. And I'm sure that stays with her for the rest of her life. So it will help her to to grow and to to try and to, yeah. yeah. I think what's really lovely about that story, it's the, the focus on the person, not the task. The chart you were talking about was when we try to systematize things and we try to get organized in a way yeah. that I'm sure the hospital was trying to do with the very best of intentions, you lose sight of the people. Mm-hmm. And what's most important is the people their experience and how to train them and and, you know just thinking about let's frame this more positively often the systems we develop to track to systematize work against that people element that focusing on the individual and I think that's a challenge for all of us in leadership to make sure that our systems you know have a good the motivation that we don't lose sight of the people yeah but we have to play a big role in that as a leader yesterday again at the hospital a, a young nurse came to me and there was a task to be done and she said, oh, I never done that and I'm not allowed to do that. And she left the room. So afterwards, I went to her and said, hey, what if you stayed with me and you look how I do it? And I promise the next time I will let you do it, but I will be responsible. I will look at how you do it and help you with that. And she just brightened up so much. And for the rest of the evening at the ER, she just was there all the time asking me questions. Hey, can I do this? And is that okay? Just we have to create this openness so that people have mm-hmm. space to move and, and to explore and to, yeah. to grow. Yeah. yeah. I think so, that's such a huge principle, isn't it? Focus on the person, focus on their growth and their potential and guide and support that. Yeah. Even I said it ex- explicitly to the villagers back then. I said, if you do that, if you think you want to make sure that they adopted the idea and not because of you. So I said, if you build the rat- latrines, that's fine. If you don't, I have my latrine at home, so it's fine. You know? And yeah. so you leave people. You, 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 I, I think you're, you're touching on an interesting principle here is, and it's hard as a leader because yes. we're so committed to getting results. Mm-hmm that you give people freedom to say it's not going to work i don't want to own this right and that's hard because for my personality i want to see results but what you're saying is you actually get more results if you're willing to step back yeah and not own the thing it's not yours that people said oh we want to put your name on the hospital or we want to do this i said please don't it's your hospital it's not my hospital i live in somewhere else and this is your thing and so we have to stress it every single time and also for our own best because otherwise we would uh, attach our hearts to something that is not our own see it was painful for me to see that the first project we worked at that it's gone I visited it several times and it's like our house is in ruins and 
where we lived back then. And, and the rest, um, yeah, it's just, there's still a dispensary, but it's not like it was before. Yeah, I then decided that I would never attach my heart to the project or anything, but I did attach my heart to the people I met during that time. And knowing that every single interaction with them somehow helped me and them to move forward in life. Mm. And the results that came out of that, I might never know, but for myself, I know. And for them, I hope it was beneficial. No, that I can own as a, yeah, it's for me, that's eternal and, <laughs> and not, and not the building, the building or whatever uh, structure we put up. I love that. Yeah. I think that's a really good note to end on actually. Thank you, Peter. It's been fascinating hearing your stories you. of conversational leadership in practice and kind of figuring it out as you went along, not knowing that there was a concept called conversational leadership, but just sensing what needed to happen in that context for the benefit of the people. And, and also thank you for the reminder of making it all about the people and their growth, not our goals. I think that's really critical. Thank you, Peter. Thank you too. As usual, the show notes and the transcript are going to be on the website. If you have any comments or thoughts in response to what Peter's shared, please do go along to leadinginconversation.net. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.